God the Father's power to believers. So I want to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. I'm going to read all the way down through the end of the chapter. But our text is going to be in the first half of verse 19. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. In every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We definitely want to give attention to these words, because if someone would ask me today, How do I hear the voice of God? Well, the voice of God doesn't come to us audibly, does it? The voice of God doesn't come out of our own hearts or out of our own imaginations. Certainly, the voice of God isn't comprised of our feelings and how we feel about things. But as one man has put it, do you want to hear the voice of God? Then open your Bible and read. The Scriptures are the voice of God to us. So therefore it is of imperative that when an authority speaks something that we give heed to it, that we give undistracted attention to what He, the Lord God, is saying. Paul had been given thanksgiving here, and he begins to pray for the church at Ephesus. This prayer is inspired That means it is God-breathed. That means not only is Paul praying this prayer for the church, but it is Christ himself praying this prayer through Paul for the church. Therefore, it is Christ's desire for ourselves to also experience the result of this prayer. If we would ask what type of intercession is Jesus Christ interceding for us, we have that type of intercession right here in our text. And the primary prayer request is given in verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is that? The Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The word Him there is God the Father, or we could perhaps say in the knowledge of Himself. God the Father giving us knowledge by His Spirit as He enlightens the text, the Scripture that He is God-breathed, so therefore we come to a living knowledge of God Himself. There are three specific prayer requests that are under this knowledge of Him that Paul wants us to come to greater and greater understanding of. Verse 18, that we would know what is the hope of His calling. What is the hope? Well, God the Father has called us unto Himself in Christ Jesus through the Gospel so that the hope of that calling might be embraced by us. 
What is the hope of that calling? The hope is the gaining, the gaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is He? He's in heaven. He is in a glorified body, a glorified state. This is the hope of that calling through which God has called every believer unto, that we would gain the same things that the Lord Jesus Christ has gained. Did He die? Was He raised? That's what we hope to gain in Christ Jesus. That hope is not a wish, it is a confident expectation that this will happen because of the promises that God the Father has given to us. The second prayer request, verse 18, is that we might have an increasing knowledge of what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Paul's not asking that we might know what our inheritance is, that's what he has talked about previously, but what is God the Father's inheritance? And God the Father's inheritance is, if we could sum it up this way, is Christ in you. The hope of what? The hope of glory. God has put the Spirit of His dear Son, the third member of the Godhead, in every believing person's body. Or as the scripture puts it, he has put this treasure in earthen vessels. The Bible calls this the unsearchable wealth of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And folks, he's just not redeeming our spirit and our soul. He's redeeming how much of us? All of us. So that at the end of the day, the inheritance of God the Father will be a people called by His name. So that His Son would be the firstborn, remember this from Romans, the firstborn among many what? Many brethren. Just like Himself. This is marvelous. And we are called to increase in that grace and bring forth the fruits that God expects us to bring forth by depositing that grace within us. Now that comes brings us to the third specific prayer request of our knowledge of God the Father. And that is in verse 19. Here's what he wants us to know. What is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? Or I might word it this way. If I was going to shorten it, I would word it this way. God the Father wants us to know what is His power. Now, in order for us to understand that, it's going to take two messages. And for us, first of all, to engage in what is commonly known today as the power of God. My first exposure to this question, what is the power of God, came to me shortly after I was born again in 1980. I kept hearing people talk about the power of God. I keep hearing people pray for the power of God. I even prayed because I had heard it prayed, Lord, please give me the power of God. And that question so gripped me that I began to search the Scripture and asked him, I didn't know I was praying Ephesians 1.19, but I began to ask him, Lord, what is this power? I'm praying for it. <laughs> How would I know when I got it? And the answer to that came to me in the book of 1 Corinthians. When 1 Corinthians, we'll look at this later, when it says, for the preaching 
of the cross is what? The power of God. Is the power of God. In fact, my wife will remember this. She used to do a lot of cross stitch. I actually had her design a cross stitch of a cross. And underneath that said, the preaching of the cross is the power of God that hung in my study for years and years and years. About 25 years ago, I was brought back into this question, what is the power of God? So I asked you, do you know what is the power of God? I think modern American understanding of what the power of God is seems to focus on an unknown definition. We talk about it. We may even pray about it. But we really don't know what it is and we certainly don't know if we've ever seen it. If I were to ask you, in the American church today, in our immature, weak, tear-infested state of the American church, if I was to ask you, do we need the power of God? I think all of us would say, yes. Yes. And I think any conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-practicing New Testament church, if I was to ask that question, I think I would get a 100% vote that we do need that. But if I were to ask you individually, what do you mean by the power of God, I think I would write down various nuanced, differing answers from every one of us. Today, in the modern American church, we think that in order to gain the power of God, we need to find out the formula to get it. That if I get the formula, one plus one is two, that if two is the power of God, that if I could find out what the one is, (laughs) and I could find out what the other one is, and I put those together in my life, or my life became of such quality character that I would be deserving of that power, then I would gain that power. And if you gathered a bunch of people who were all on the same equation, one plus one, then the power of God would come upon a congregation. The power of God does not consist of a formula. I've heard within conservative Bible-believing camps, people speak of certain preachers not having the power of God. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I would dare say that if I asked you, have you ever heard that, someone make a comment, maybe you've made the comment, well, that preacher doesn't have the power of God. Rarely, however, have I ever heard of someone say that man or woman needs more of the power of God. Usually, the way we see it is he either has the power of God or he what? He doesn't have the power of God. If I were to ask you what is the results of of a man or a church having the power of God, I would guess that most of us, if not all of us, would have differing definitions, but probably all of the nuances of those definitions would somehow be connected with evangelism or soul winning. That would be my guess. Now I'm mentioning all these things to sweep them out. 
to sweep them away. Because Paul is asking that the Holy Spirit would enlighten us to know what is His power. Is He not praying that? Which means that we are liable to come up with definitions and expectations that are not in agreement with what the Scripture has to say about the power of God. Now this morning, before I get to the text, and my my aim is to give us five general observations, not comprehensive, but five general observations about the power of God, and we're going to look at some of these passages. And that's going to comprise the majority of this morning. And then I'm going to bring it down conclusion by looking at this phrase in Ephesians 1.19 and then setting us up for next Lord's Day by His grace to fully understand this power and how it is exhibited in the individual and in the life of a congregation. So, some general observations about the power of God. I think the first thing that we need to understand is this. Only one person has ever possessed all the infinite power of God. And that person was a man, and his name was what? Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. Only Jesus Christ possessed all the infinite power of God in his life. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 states, For in him all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. Did you hear what the scripture says? All the fullness of God's attributes and power and person are infinite, right? All, all of the fullness of the Godhead or deity dwelt in Christ alone. None of us, we possess the person of the Holy Spirit, but none of us have within our life all the fullness of deity. If we had all the fullness of deity in us in infinite measure, we would be God. Can we agree with that? Okay. So, only He possessed this. Now, we can ask for more of the power of God. And let me show you that. We're here in Ephesians. Go over to Ephesians 3 because Paul's going to pray for this. Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul gives us the second thing that he's praying for the saints at Ephesus. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, now note verse 16, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with what? Power. Through His Spirit in the inner man. Everybody see that? Can we be strengthened, and I'm going to give this away, in the power of God that we already possess. Yes, the power of God was already operating in the life of the church at Ephesus, and Paul prays that we would be that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit, and then he gives the results of that happening. He lets you know what that looks like at the end of that prayer. So first of all, only Christ possessed all the infinite power of God in His life. 
Every believer possesses internally the power of this grace, and we certainly can ask for more. And folks, you don't have to say strengthen in power. You can just say, Lord, have you ever prayed, Lord, strengthen me? That's what you're asking for. You're asking to be upheld by His power. Secondly, and I want us to turn to the book of 2 Timothy so that we can see this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So first of all, only Jesus Christ possessed all the infinite power of God in His life. Secondly, there is a so-called Christianity that is void of the power of God. Note in 2 Timothy chapter 3, note in verse 1. But realize this, then the last days difficult times will come. Why will they be difficult? Verse 2. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Sounds like our modern culture, doesn't it? Now look at verse 5. Holding. Let's pause there. These people who are lovers of self, and lovers of money, who are unloving, no self-control, lovers of pleasure, they are holding to a form of what? Godliness. Although they have denied its what? All right. So is there, and folks, these people are not say people. These people are not Christians. These people holding to a so-called Christianity but denying the power thereof. They are, look at verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Everybody see that? But they denied its power. The power to do what? To power to make them lovers of God and not themselves. The power to make them love God and not money. The power to make them humble instead of braggadocious. The power to bring them on their knees before Christ instead of being arrogant. The power to change their speech from grumblers and complainers and revilers and abusers with their tongue to a tongue that is submissive to Christ. Everybody see that? They're denying that power. They have, isn't it amazing that someone could say, I'm godly while they have these ungodly things? But that's exactly what they're doing. And the Bible says that we are to avoid people like this. Look at verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. All right, what is our response to this? Do we say, well, they need discipling? No. Well, they're just believers. They prayed this prayer, but when they die, they're going to go to heaven. Is that what Paul says? No. He says, avoid people like this. Everybody see that? 
Why is he saying to avoid people like this? Because what are they lacking? They're lacking the power of who? God in their lives. Everybody see that? So folks, if we say, or if we hear preached, that the American church, that the problem with the American church today is that it's lacking the power of God, what are we then saying? We're saying that the modern American church today is full of tares, people who are not genuine believers. Everybody see that? We're not saying, oh, well, there's a group of people out there and they acknowledge Christ and I know they live for themselves and they love money and they love pleasure and they love themselves and they're grumbers and complainers and they act like the world, talk like the world, walk like the world. They're just missing the power of God. Well, yes, they are missing the power of God. But it's not a second level that we're to come up to. That there can be a Christian without the power of God and there can be a Christian with the power of God. It's not two levels. If we say the Christian church, and I use that in quote, is lacking or void of the power of God, I'm saying, the scripture is saying, by definition, that they are not born from above. Everybody see what I'm saying? I'm I'm trying to sweep away some things out of our minds. So first of all, who's the only man who's possessed all the infinite power of God? His name is who? (coughs) Jesus Christ. Is there a so-called Christianity void of power? The answer to that is yes. There is a so-called Christianity that is void of power. Thirdly, if we're talking about the power of God, it is the gospel, now listen to how I word this, it is the gospel of the person of Christ that is the power of God. It is the gospel of the person of Jesus Christ that is the power of God. Now let's look at two passages. Let's go to the book of Romans. <clears throat> Nick uh, quoted this when he gave the scripture reading, and I was glad to hear him quote it. Romans chapter 1, but we want to look at it with our eyes so that you know I'm not dreaming up something here. <clears throat> We're actually getting it from the text so that we can come to a proper knowledge of who God the Father is and how he is acting toward believing people. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to how many people? Everyone who what? Believes. Everybody see that? Okay? Paul, why are you not ashamed? Because I know, Paul says, that in the gospel and in the proclamation of that gospel is, not could be, not maybe, is the power of God that delivers us. Delivers us in our justification. Amen? It delivers us in our sanctification. Amen? The gospel is not just for praying the prayer, you pray the prayer, Lord be merciful to me a sinner, and then the gospel's over. No, that's the beginning. So the gospel is the person of Christ. And in that gospel, verse 17 of Romans 1, the righteousness of God is revealed. So if I say to you, someone asked you, or from now on, when you're talking about the power of God, you and I and everyone here is going to understand that the power of God is the gospel of the person of Jesus Christ. 
Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> this was the passage <clears throat> that when I first got saved, as I was trying to understand what people were talking about <clears throat> when they talked about the power of God, <clears throat> this is the passage that convinced me not only what the power of God is, but how I am to have it and proclaim it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, <clears throat> look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Void of what? It's power. Everybody see that? If I preach the cross of Christ with human wisdom and cleverness of speech, in other words, if I'm trying to accomplish what only God can accomplish in the preaching of the gospel, I have emptied the gospel of its power, though I still may be able to manipulate men and women to come forward. Everybody see what he's saying? For Christ did not send me to baptize. And folks, here, here's a great passage to know that baptism is not part of the gospel. The power of God is not exhibited in the waters of baptism. We're going to baptize on Wednesday. There is no saving effect as they go into that water and come out of that water, other than the grace of God you see in them, in them obeying Christ. So if you are a sinner and you get baptized, you will get wet and you will come out the same way you went in. No power of God in baptism. For Christ did not send me to baptize, <clears throat> but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Verse 18, four. Here's why. Here's why I'm preaching the gospel. For the word of the cross is foolishness <clears throat> to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the, the power of God. Everybody see that? The proclamation of the gospel, the word of the cross, that preaching and that proclamation of the person of Jesus Christ, that is foolishness to a lost world. But to us who are being saved, he's writing to a church, right? But to us who are being saved, that proclamation is the power of God. So when we talk about and ask ourselves, well, what is the power of God? Well, the power of God is in the person of Jesus Christ and it is in the proclamation of Him that has within it the inherent power of God. So let's just pause here. Is that power inherent in me? No, it is not inherent in me. It is not inherent in any lost person's life under the sun on this planet. If they want to know God and have the power of God in their life to change them from that old man in Adam, in other words, the way they used to be to the way a believer should be in Christ, what it's going to take is the power of God. And it begins with being born from above. Would you agree that life takes power? It has to come from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not going to come through my fancy intellect or my persuasive speech or me taking a salesman course on how to get people to buy the product. And the gospel's nothing more than a product. And so if I just get them, manipulate them to where they say yes for the product, I make the sale, got it, they're going to heaven. That is not the Bible way at all. So folks, if I was to ask you what is the power of God, the power of God is the gospel of the person of Christ. 
And that would include the preaching of the cross as being the power of God. Everybody with me? Okay, we know now what the power of God is. Fourthly, <clears throat> and we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> there are differing responses to the power of God. Sometimes I hear preachers preach, well, the problem with the church is that we don't have the power of God, that if we had the power of God, then we would be attracted to lost people, lost people would just flock to our assemblies because there would be something attractive there and would attract them. The Bible doesn't speak that way. Should we adorn the gospel of Christ in our lives? Yes, and when God is working in a person, they will see somewhat of that adorning in another person. But there are differing responses. <clears throat> Look in verse 23. <clears throat> Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified. Is Paul preaching the right gospel? Is he living the right gospel? Is he attractive to people? People are just flocking to him. Folks, what did the Jews try to do to Paul? They tried to kill him. And folks, Paul used to be this way. When he heard the words, Jesus is God and He is the Messiah, and Paul knew that that Jesus had been put to death, he said, that is what? That is foolishness. That is insanity. God would never allow the Jewish Messiah to be put to death on a cross. He would never allow filthy Gentile hands to nail him to a tree. And you're saying that by his, that person's death, and now you're saying he's resurrected, that that's godliness and that's life. You're an idiot. To the Jews, it was foolishness. Look at verse 23 again. <clears throat> Excuse me, to the Jew it was a stumbling block. To the Gentiles it was foolishness. Everybody see that? Folks, it wasn't attractive. Did they see it? They did see a difference. But it was repulsive to them. Repulsive. And some of you here this morning have had the grace of God work in your life and change you. And you're like I was after I first got born again. I thought everybody would want this. How wrong I was. And I had to search the Scripture like you have to search. Why is this? is because by fallen nature, if you are religious, as religious as a Jew, it is a stumbling block to you because you think you're saved by your good works. Or if you're a pagan Gentile, you think this is moronic. This is insane. This isn't how the world thinks. I mean, if you're so right, why don't more people embrace this? Because by nature, they're in hostility against God. And folks, if they're in hostility against God, they're going to be in hostility to who? Me. To you. That is the normal reaction. And so he says in verse 24, he says, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're religious or you're not, Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the what of God? The wisdom of God. Everybody see that? And folks, fifthly, <clears throat> every believer has this power inside of them. But there's a reason why we don't acknowledge that power. 
there's a reason why we have all these various definitions and what that power is. And I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians. We could go to other places. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If there's two things that even believing people today, generally converted people don't see today, is one, the wrath of God. They don't understand how the wrath of God is revealed. There's no way they can say, maybe one day our nation will come in the judgment if we don't turn. No, the wrath of God is being revealed right now in our nation. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. But folks, the other thing they don't see is the power of God. And that's why Paul's praying that our eyes, having been enlightened, that we might know what his power is, right? Fifthly, the power of God is perfected in our weakness. In our weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Paul was speaking of himself. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Everybody read that? That's the reason why Paul got this thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. He got given a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself. Well, what are lost people? Who do they exalt? Themselves. A messenger of Satan to torment me. The word torment is a word that is used of being put on a rack. They used to put people on a rack, shackle their feet, shackle their arms, twist that and stretch their body, it would be a tormenting pain. And Paul prayed about it, verse 8. I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. You ever done that? You ever had such pain, torment for you? You besought the Lord, didn't go away. Might even have gotten worse. Look at what the Lord said to Paul. Verse 9. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Why? For power is perfected in what? This past month I had an occasion to reconnect with the best man at our wedding. And seen him probably 35 years. Did a little FaceTime, got together, it was a joy to see him. And he was sharing some of the ways that Christ had worked in his life. And he said that a few years ago, <clears throat> two or three years ago, he had to declare bankruptcy. Would you call that painful? And Christian people were coming to him and saying, what did you do wrong? You must have sinned. Maybe you didn't handle your money right. What went wrong in your life that God had to do this to you? You probably thought that about other people. Had a calamity come in their life and you picked out four or five sins that you saw and said, there's the reason. My friend said to my wife and I, I came to understand this was God working in me. Do you hear that? Folks, the reason we don't see The revealed power of God is because when the weakness is there, we don't see the power of God working in that person's life. We think the power of God is prosperity. 
We think the power of God is expressed in my life, everything going smooth. We think the power of God is an ever-increasing attendance at church. We think the power of God is a thousand professions of faith. And it might be the power of God if it's a genuine one thousand professions of faith. May God do so. In other words, folks, we have an Americanized idea of what the power of God is and how it is to be seen. Don't we? Folks, one day you're going to be lying on a hospital bed with your body decaying and the doctors doing everything they can to try to keep that body alive. It might come in your 30s. It might come in your 50s. You might live to be 105. But when you see that 105-year-old body and you talk to that believer in your heart of hearts, do you look at her or look at him and say, the power of God. Because that's the power of God. That person's not denying Christ. That person's walking with the Lord. Amen? See, you and I think that this is something so innately natural to us that we don't acknowledge when the power of God is really there. We think it's our schooling, our education, our reading ability, our study methods, our diligence, the amount of time we spend in devotions, the amount of time we spend in prayer. The power of God is seen in weakness. So Paul says, look in 2 Corinthians, can you say this? I'm going to tell you, I haven't gotten here yet. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 12.10 Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Because I know when I am weak, I am, can we say it? Strong. Everybody see that. God's power is accomplished and brought to a completion in our lives as we grow weaker. And this is why Peter would write, and I'll quote it to you, that it is God the Father's divine power Did you hear that? It's His power that gifted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's already gifted us this power for everything that pertains to life and godliness. In other words, folks, every person who is believing The power of God is resting upon them and is working in them right now. Hallelujah. I don't lack the power of God. I have the power of God. And folks, this is why Peter writes, listen again, 1 Peter 1, verse 5. We are protected We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When you get up in the morning and you wake up and you are still believing, still hungering for the things of Christ, still wanting to pray, still wanting to walk with Him, that's the power of God in your life. That doesn't happen in lost people. Right? You ought to thank God for it. He wants you to know what is His power. This is what it is. 
It is the mystery of His will summing up all things in Christ coming to pass in my life and in your life for the glory of God. That takes His power. And as we tow back to the book of Ephesians and we look at what it says in verse 19, Paul wants us to know what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Paul's not praying for the church to gain the power of God, is he? He's not praying that the church would access the power of God, is he? He's praying that they would come to a knowledge of what the power of God is and its amazing intensity in their life. That's what he wants them to know. Read it. What is the surpassing greatness? That's intensity, isn't it? The surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. So how many believers have the power of God? Every believer. Can we pray for more? Yes, but every believer has the power of God operating in their lives. If they don't have the power of God in their life, they're lost. This is called the rebirth that can only come from above. Folks, it's the same power of God that created all creation and called it into existence. Let there be light. And it was, it was so. Let the waters be formed, separated, and it was so. Let the earth and the dry land come up by the word of His power. And it was what? It was so. And the same word of God in the gospel is the same word that's going to produce something in every genuine believer. Are you ready? A new creation. Isn't that what the Scripture says? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. And folks, we're spending the rest of our life coming to know what this newness is and the knowledge of God about it and how He operates and how He functions. When we talk about the power of God, what Paul is talking about is the power that is operating within the mystery of His will to bring everything to a completion to sum it up all in Christ. If you're talking about a lost person we're talking about the proclamation of the gospel and the power of God drawing them to His Son and the power of God declaring them righteous in Christ. That takes the power of God or it doesn't happen. I can't do that. You can't do that. God can do that. What I can do is echo the text and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to do that. Everybody with me? and in saved people. It is the power of God that is sanctifying you. Everything you come to know is the enlightening of the Holy Spirit by the power of God. You coming to know Him takes the power of God. You walking in grace every day takes the power of God. And folks, God's power, I'm speaking in general, God's power is not like Satan's. Satan's power is violent, right? God's power is gentle. When I got saved, it wasn't like an earthquake happened in me. 
And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm like being morphed into something. That's gentle, wasn't it? You know, when I got saved, I called on the name of the Lord to save me. I didn't feel a thing. I just got up, went to bed. Didn't feel a thing. But when I woke up the next day, the power of God, something changed. And folks, that's the way He works in our sanctification. It's not like, you know, there's going to be some huge crises, although He does bring crises in our lives. It's not going to be some huge crises and this violent earthquake happens in your life and you pop out super Christian. The Bible uses the word growing in the grace and knowledge of God. Folks, in the saved, the power of God is seen in us being sanctified. In the saved, the power of God is seen in our glorification. Don't you agree that at the resurrection of our bodies, that's going to take the power of God? Folks, we're being kept by the power of God. We're being transformed by the power of God. We were brought to Christ by the power of God. It's all of Him. And folks, all of that is in agreement with the mystery of His will. Now, I'm going to close with a little teaser. When did this happen? That's very important, right? When did this happen? Well, historically for us, it happened at a historical moment in time. But look at verse 19 again. What is the surpassing greatness of His power toward who? Us who are believing. These are in accordance with the working of His strength of His might, which He brought about in us who believe. Is that what it says? That's what you would have expected it to say, right? Folks, where was the working of the strength of His might, His power? Where did He bring all of that to pass? In who? Christ. Everybody see that? He did all of this in Him, which is in agreement with the mystery of His will. And folks, that's why Paul can say that this is my confidence. I'm confident of this very thing Paul wrote. That He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. The power of God when you got saved. The power of God as you walk in Him. The power of God when on your deathbed your body dies and you are present with the Lord. The power of God raising our bodies from the grave so that our body will be like His body. And folks, this is why Paul also exhorted us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God working in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Everybody hear that? Folks, all of that comes together and makes perfectly good sense. No one is saved apart from the power of God working in them. No one. So I want to ask you, Are you saved? Is the life of Christ inside of you? Because if it's not, then you will die in your sins. But you can come to Christ today. His arms are outreached. He said, come to me, didn't He? Come to me, all you who labor. Aren't you weary? Heavy laden, the burdens of life, your sin. 
And I will give you what? I will give you rest. Learn of me. Don't be afraid to go to him. I am meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. One commentator wrote, God the Father's intensifying might is His power to overcome any and all resistance to bringing life out of death. That's the power of God. Let's pray.